Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Comic-Con, cosplay, and community. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zentelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so we did a podcast on Yarn Crawl yep. and one on RollerCon. Yep. So here we are now talking Comic-Con. <laughs> It's because mm-hmm. I went to Emerald City Comic Con this last weekend, mm-hmm. which is the great big giant convention in Seattle around somewhat nerd culture. Okay. Comic books, Marvel Universe, DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, Disney. Basically. So not a convention specific to one particular fandom. Correct. It encompasses them all. Correct. So okay. Comic Cons around the country are just major events and conventions around that kind of industry. Okay. And they'll bring in celebrities, perhaps, for autographs and signings and photo opportunities. They'll bring them in for panels and conversations, live panels. They'll have some workshops with some of those folks, industry folks. And then there's the whole convention side where you have your trade show. Okay. Where there's a big area for... You know, maybe you have one section that's all tabletop gaming. Okay. And so your big popular tabletop games that are out and about right now, or maybe there's a vendor for dice and different kinds of dice, vendors for Ren Faire style clothing and things like that. And then you have, you know, those um, Funko Pops. Not even remotely. (laughs) Keep going. Little figures that have big heads that are plastic. You find them. Yes. Yeah. Right there in like Hot Topic or that kind of a a store. Yes, yes, yes. So that was probably one of the most popular booths there were these collector Funko Pops. So that's one area of the convention. And then there's, at least at Emerald City, there's another area that are independent artists. Oh, okay. And so your comic book artists, I think some of the folks who are working on things like Spider-Man comics, the current ones. Sure. And... Some of the big name comics were at Emerald City Comic Con. The artists are there and the writers are there and you can buy their work from them. You can get things autographed and signed. Different book publishers are there. It's a huge event. Yeah. And alongside of all of those sorts of programmatic pieces are then the informal gatherings and meetups and events that happen. Okay, so you and your buddies live close, or you've just chosen that this is where everybody's going to meet from all over the country kind of gather? It can be, especially depending upon what celebrities come into town. Oh, interesting. And who gets contracted in, right? So, for example, the reason why my spouse and I quickly bought tickets for Emerald City Comic Con the day they became available Uh is because we heard that, very specifically, the cast of Critical Role which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast and Twitch live stream show. Okay. We're going to be there Saturday and Sunday. Okay. And so we bought tickets to go up and to meet or see in person very close up the cast of basically this TV show, if you want to think it that way, uh-huh. that we admire and we enjoy. And so we went to go meet them. Well, this was going to be my next question to you is when you hear about something like this happening, what is the major draw? Is it going to be seeing some sort of live panel, give a discussion on whatever your favorite is? Is it going to be the trade show aspect of it? Or is there something else that we haven't even gotten to yet? I think it depends on who you are and what you enjoy. It might be that you really want to go shopping. Sure. (laughs) Or you want to meet that artist. 
that has created beautiful art. You want to get a hold of that. There is another subculture that has grown exponentially in the last eight to 10 years, and that is the cosplay community. Sure. And what that is is the costume community. And historically, it was just something people did for fun. Yeah. And amateur seamstress folks who did this at home for a good time. So you pick your favorite character and you create a costume and you go to the Comic-Con, you go to the convention dressed as your favorite character. Oh yeah, I have been watching this from afar for things like San Diego Comic-Con. Exactly. Because it's pretty remarkable what these people can come up with. Well now, several years into cosplay really taking off, there are people that make a living doing this now. Really? Oh yeah, and Joanne's even, if you go into your local Joanne Joanne's about four or five years ago, one of those cosplayers got her own fabric line. No way. Totally. And so it's just skyrocketed. Now my sister, because my sister is a costumer in Florida and has been a costumer for a very, very long time and did costumes when we were still up in Pennsylvania and all kinds of things. Uh So she is a phenomenally talented costumer. And so she started doing cosplay early in the game. Sure. And I can admire an incredible costume, especially that my big sister makes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Pretty easily. And at the time, several of the pieces that she did were from Doctor Who. Oh, yes. Which I think I've probably mentioned on previous podcasts how much I love Doctor Who. Yes. And even without all that, you can imagine it has a huge fandom. Huge fandom. Mm -hmm. Huge international fandom. And like at Emerald City... Peter Capaldi, who was the most previous doctor before Jodie Whittaker, Mm -hmm. was there. Nice. He was at the con for autographs and signatures and that kind of a piece. So my sister created a costume of one of the characters there. And last year, I was able to bring that home with me and go to Rose City Comic Con Mm -hmm. and wear that costume, which was tons of fun. And this year, I started to do my own cosplay. So I am not in any way competitive or... Wait, you keep saying competitive. What does that mean? They give out prizes at every Comic-Con or they're separate competitions? Yes, and. Yes, and. Oh, my. So Singer, which is... The the... sewing company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sponsors a major competition. Oh, this is so smart of them. And there are even international competitions in cosplay now. So Mm -hmm. it's really upped its game. So at Emerald City, the top place winner won $1,500. Nice. And just the stuff that's created, what's neat about this then, and what does this have to do with God, right? Because we are a Christian podcast. We're getting there. All of this stuff, what I think is beautiful is the way that these conventions and these gatherings nurture creativity. Okay. And nurture community. Mm Mm-hmm. And And I think community for a lot of these people in a way that they haven't experienced or haven't had a chance to find. Right, often. Mm -hmm. And all of it is tied into, of course, what are you a fan of? You're a fan of a story. Oh, sure. Right. So this all comes back to we as human beings crave a common story. We crave a common narrative that we can gather around together. So whether that's Harry Potter or whether that is Doctor Who, or whether that is Critical Role, or whether that is Scripture, Mm -hmm. right? We crave common story to gather around to find values and hopes and dreams and fellow 
people who share in what it is that we love and that we find common resonance with. And so these big giant conventions, people gather together in these groups and these fandoms, and you can spot them with little signs and symbolism. So if you want to talk about a place to see semiotics, which is understanding signs okay, and the understanding of symbolism, if you want to go somewhere to just soak in a world of semiotics, go to a Comic-Con. Okay. Because you'll find a little pin or a little nod of the head towards all kinds of different things that if you know what that means, you're in on the joke and you're in the community. From as obvious to a Star Trek symbol to Mm -hmm. something, I'm sure, incredibly minute that I would have no idea what it was. Right. So depending upon if you loved Star Trek or Star Wars, you might see the fleet commander. Maybe you see someone walking in a red shirt. Sure. And you automatically know, oh, there's some Star Trek. Or maybe you see someone in, there was a Ruth Vader Ginsburg. Nice. Wait, Ruth Vader Ginsburg. Exactly. Oh, that's so had a Darth Vader helmet on with the descent collar. That's fabulous. But those are semiotic pieces. Well, and it's not unlike finding your group the way they talk about the old symbol of the fish in the early church, correct? Sure. Absolutely. Like, how do we spot one another in a crowd? How do we know that we Without have... necessarily calling attention to it one way right. or another. How do we know we have common story? And what are the ways that we know we share story? Interesting. This was the largest con that I've attended. And spending the weekend in this place, and, and also very specifically getting a chance to meet the author of one of the pivotal stories of my childhood from before I was baptized. So before the biblical story became my story, okay, or even necessarily before the Shakespearean stories became my story, sure, which wasn't your... until I was 13, mm-hmm. I was reading her stories when I was 10, 11, 12, really formative years. And I was able to walk up to her at her publisher's booth and hold her hand and tell her how the story that she told helped me understand the world. Wow. And to thank her and to let her know the direct line between her story and my advocacy among the LGBTQIA community. Okay. That it was her words and her story that I read before anyone could tell me that it was wrong. Mm. That showed me how beautiful love is, period. Do you want to tell us who this is? Mercedes Lackey. Okay. If people are curious, you can look up her books, Mercedes Lackey, the Arrows of the Queen trilogy and the Last Herald Maid trilogy were huge formative books for me. Caveat, they were written in the 80s and 90s and they have a lot of the same tropes that 80s and 90s fantasy have. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff in there that isn't necessarily great to the modern ear. That's fair. it was written... Many, many decades ago. Exactly. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. But I think I was really struck. I was really struck by this, not just within the cosplay community so we could spot each other across the room. Sure. And know that we belong to the same fandom and we shared experiences together. So that was cool. But then there's also just watching other people meet one another and nurture the community. We attended a meetup, an after-hours meetup, of people who also watch Critical Role. Okay. And what I think is beautiful about that community is that it fosters inclusion 
and fosters taking a look at where we fail, but trying to get better. And it's a community that for a lot of people who, again, similar to roller derby, Mm -hmm. a lot of people who have not been welcomed in mainstream Christian culture, where they have found supportive, loving, nurturing community together. And the power of that, (laughs) this team launched a Kickstarter a week ago that has now earned over $7.5 million. Oh, wow. And is the highest earning Kickstarter for a television film production. The power of that international community, the power of creating positive, nurturing, loving community in our world, we crave it so much. We do. And for me, this inevitably... I go back to thinking about my dissertation work. Okay. And I go back to thinking about how God is absolutely everywhere we go. Absolutely everywhere. I think the trap many people fall into, especially if you're skeptical about such things as Comic-Cons and fandoms, is that it has to be exclusive. Mm. And it can be. There are some fandoms that really can be, that can put you through your paces and really create an insider or outsider kind of thing. Some of them are not healthy fandoms. That's That's really fair. But I think you are a wonderful example of somebody who is Christian and yet finds joy and meaning in other things as well. And it doesn't have to be exclusive. And I think because I have this understanding that I can see God's story interwoven within the other stories, Uh right? I can see God, frankly, I can see God gifting people with incredible capacities to be creative and to make something out of nothing and to take, you know, I, I met someone who took pool noodles and duct tape and created this gorgeous staff. (laughs) For those of us who may or may not have the sewing skills, right? As your sister, that's heartening to hear. And it's amazing what people can create with ingenuity and community backing them up and cheering them on. Sure. Right? It's just beautiful. And I totally see God in that. And I totally see God's hand and the Holy Spirit working through authors and artists to create spaces of genuine care and love and telling of stories of a world that can be different Mm -hmm. than the world that we understand. Uh, I think there are still a fair amount of people who are afraid that that kind of community and fandom will usurp anything that would come from a traditional mainstream church. Well, they could. Mm -hmm. And I would say that if they are being more loving, more accepting, and getting more work done and making the world a better place, then maybe that's not a bad thing. Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's daring for me to say out in the open airwaves that someone could take a clip and just say that. But the reality is, you know, in my research, there was that one clip that said the reason why the early Christian church in the first centuries was pulling people towards it and why so many people were going there and risking their lives to be a part of it was because of the love that they did and the healing that they offered. And then the writer went on to say, the minute that Christians are not participating in that kind of a loving healing environment Mm -hmm. is the minute that our world will retreat back to paganism. Well... And isn't that somewhat what we're seeing in this 500-year shift? And if we're seeing a return to a wider breadth 
than colonized Christianity, then maybe it should tell us that we're missing something really important. Mm -hmm. And if we are not as mainstream Christian churches, places of love and healing, then we've missed something intrinsic about the very nature of Christ. And if a fandom can provide more love and healing for someone than a congregation can, Mm -hmm. then we need to take a good hard look at that. Sure. And that's a really convicting and should be a convicting reality of our current climate and culture. But it doesn't mean that in the church we should look at that fandom and say, you are evil and you shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. We should turn that mirror back on ourselves and say, okay, well, why aren't we Mm -hmm. that kind of a space? What are we missing? And if it is that we're missing our story because we're not telling our story anymore, and so people don't have a common story, is it because we don't have the semiotics, we don't have the symbols? Mm Mm-hmm. Or the symbols have been overrun by other things for so long that we no longer have common symbols to be able to recognize each other. There's a million things we can learn from that. If we stop saying those things are bad Uh or wrong or scary, but just go surround yourself, enjoy it, love it, explore it, love the people, see the beauty in them, the incredible skill, the incredible ways... God has gifted them to bring beauty into this world and to create story in this world and then dare to think, well, how can we do that with our story? It's transformative. It's absolutely transformative. Let me ask you this. Between the different fandoms that you saw this weekend, Mm -hmm. was there any sense of camaraderie or did you sort of stick to your own fandom? Good question. And I will say for myself, I'm an introvert. And that is a massively huge setting of thousands of people. I agree. It would be difficult. So I stuck mostly to the critical role fandom. Sure. Because that was part of why I was there that week, Mm -hmm. was to kind of engage in that. And by Sunday, when I was walking around in Doctor Who outfit, I wasn't really engaging other people. (laughs) (laughs) I was thanking artists for the beauty that they bring into the world. Sure. But not necessarily trying to look for other people in a fandom to engage more with. Let me ask you this. In costume, would people come up to you who wouldn't know who you were and be like, you still look fantastic. I don't know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the kind of acceptance I'm curious if you get between fandoms, given the old Star Trek versus Star Wars rivalry that used to be touted, which I think is debunked. No, I think it's still there. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I think it's still there. But, but well, I think tough it's, because I like both. I think it's a playful thing in some One areas. hopes it stays One that hope. way. Yeah. One of the ways that my costume is recognizable when I'm in the Who garb is with the specific journal okay. that looks like a TARDIS. It's a very specific prop that's obvious. And so I carry that visibly so that people can pick that up, that semiotic. I think even I could be able to pick out what a TARDIS looks like. Exactly. And the outfit was only on screen for about two and a half minutes. Okay. So the outfit is not recognizable, but the journal is. And so we're going up the escalator. This is a great story of the weekend, going up this giant escalator. And on the way down, there was someone in like a mustardy yellow colored shirt holding a big sign with spay your tribbles and someone in a red shirt (laughs) holding a poofy creature in its arm. And so as we were going up, I was holding my journal. I said, oh, you're having some trouble with tribbles. 
And the people laughed and looked at me and said, yes, please tell the doctor as we passed one another. Nice. So that kind of nod to recognizing each other's story that we were representing that day certainly does happen and is a lot of fun. That's fabulous. Okay, this is going to bring me to my last question Mm -hmm. because you mentioned the Doctor Who outfit, Mm -hmm. but what was the other costume then? (laughs) The other costume is a character from Critical Role. That would have been my guess, Uh but I know nothing about Critical Mm -hmm. Role. Not one of the main characters. She's actually one of the villains. Well, the villains are always more fun. Right? And uh, her character arc only lasted a certain number of episodes before her neck was snapped. Sorry, spoiler. (laughs) And um, But I had already started working on her costume before she was killed. I'm just going to say that. Uh, But she's a pirate captain. Nice. And so really, it was an excuse to get to make a pirate captain's hat with all the feathers. Well, that is an excellent reason in and of itself. Yeah. The creativity and the joy in getting to find a base hat at Fred Meyer uh-huh. and then from there... Do something amazing with it. Make a pirate captain hat filled with feathers. It's pretty fantastic. That is wonderful. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Comic-Con, cosplay, and community, in addition to the other conversations on <laughs> yarn and RollerCon. <laughs> I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you for joining along. If you are someone that engages in a fandom or cosplay or has been to a Comic-Con and you'd like to share some of that joy with us. Oh, please do. I would totally be intrigued to hear about it. You can send messages to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Post it on our Facebook wall. Or come by and see us on a Sunday at Central. Fantastic. Totally able to do that. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.